Welcome to episode 21 of Something Inventive, getting more personal in 2018. Al and I discuss whether marketing has lost its personal touch, LinkedIn tips and website design trends. The sponsor for this episode is our blog post, Get Your Ducks in a Row for 2018. We've got some interesting things to discuss, definitely. Um, We're going to be looking at, has marketing lost its personal touch? Um, Because I think there's a lot of things out there where companies are sort of sending out a load of crap and um, expecting to get a lot in. I think really they're missing the point. I'm going to look at LinkedIn and there's a couple of tips uh, from a good article I read on LinkedIn profiles. And then Al is going to take us through web design trends for 2018. Looking forward to that. But before we get into that, um, Al, I was just wondering if you had any toys for Christmas, if you've got anything interesting. Um, I didn't get any toys, but my kids got quite a lot of toys. <laughs> um, not really. No, uh, nothing, uh, nothing technical or, or anything like that or digital, unfortunately. So sorry right, to disappoint. Okay. I suppose the only thing I did get was um, like a camera zoom, like a micro, <laughs> like a, a magnifying thing for an, an iPhone attachment. Oh, yeah. But I haven't, How does that I, I, I haven't attached it yet. So I don't know. <laughs> but is that like a little clip yeah yeah so it's like these little i guess you can get fisheye lenses so it's like one of those but the opposite mm. so you can kind of magnify stuff but i have to take my case off to attach it uh, i'm always really nervous of doing that so yeah yeah I need right. to be surrounded by bubble wrap and uh, and pillows <laughs> and uh, yeah i'd be very wary of carrying it around without the case on so yeah i haven't um i haven't done it yet <laughs> so there, the one i've got clips on over my case oh. and um while i don't use it day to day for video or um photos it was quite fun when i was doing a silly little video with my son and we were doing a mini film um a by mini film i mean it's just a few minutes long Not about a minute um, i see yeah <laughs> and using the lens i think we used the fisheye lens or one of the other lenses it actually gave quite a nice um edge to it because it didn't fit quite so well over the camera and i think that's because the iphone's changed over time it's got a bigger aperture now but it actually um obscures some of the edge but that makes it, it gives it a little a feathering at the edge. It looks really good, actually. Mm. Quite a nice little effect. Um, I don't think it's meant to do that, but it looks quite nice. Um, oh, one little tip, because in the set I got, it comes with a fisheye lens. But the fisheye lens is not necessarily for the iPhone, because I think the iPhone actually has quite a good step back, really, from what you can see. Uh, the camera actually takes quite a lot in mm. from a room. Oh, yeah. But the, the fisheye was meant for video, because in video, it almost crops in on what you can see. And it's it's a bit too much, really. The fisheye lens allows it to step back, and it gives it a more natural appearance. Mm. I've got a, a hundred three degree fisheye lens in the loft, not for an iPhone. Wow! But it's a hundred eighty three degree fisheye lens, so it can see behind itself. <laughs> How does that work? Do you attach it to something else, another camera, or is it a specialist camera? Yeah, uh, no, you can attach it to. Um, well, this one it's for a Canon, uh, like an old Canon power shot something like that but um mm-hmm. yeah so you have to attach it to a camera but yeah it's uh, it's weird when you think uh, the lens can actually see behind itself that's a bit weird but it can <laughs> wow that's amazing um well i didn't get any optics from for christmas but just before christmas i did um buy a google home mini one of the reasons was that apple didn't ship their smart speaker at the time and i thought well i was just very interested in understanding how voice technology works 
particularly when asking queries about searching for other companies. So it's something I want to be doing a bit more of this year is to find out how voice search works uh, and in terms of marketing to voice search, because people are going to ask questions like, um, where's the nearest um, or give me a, give me the nearest pizza company or can you phone um, an Indian takeaway for me? I mean, those sort of things are where people are going to want to optimize to become the result that the assistant will present to the person speaking. Oh, interesting. So you're saying that that, that uh, people were going to uh, would would say search queries differently to how they would type them in. Maybe, but it's also again about the results. Even if they said them in the same way and the search queries were the same, the fact is that the assistant isn't necessarily going to give them multiple options, especially if they're in a situation like they're driving or they're not able to look at their phone. Uh, I know Siri at the moment does give multiple options for businesses, but it will always read out the first one. And that might start becoming much more of a priority than it, than it is now in, say, Google search. It's just something to, to that I'm interested in, really, in finding out how that sort of stuff works and what information Google's picking up on mm. to deliver that. How does it give you multiple options on Google Home? Just sort of say, no, no, um, no, don't want that one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I haven't. I haven't really experienced that so much on Google Home. On Siri, it's obviously got a screen, yeah. so it can read out the first one and then says, "Would you like me to read more?" And um, that's usually when it's got it wrong. <laughs> and what, all I'm trying to do is phone you, Al, and it's bringing up some pizza restaurant. I'm not sure what's happening there. I, I, in <laughs> so, my past life, I was a you know restaurateur, obviously. Yeah, that's probably what it was. <laughs> so that's quite fun, and it's quite fun seeing how the kids work with it. And obviously, it. Something like that is is the future, or at least it's going to be a big way that people inter interface with computers. And it's something that we need to know about and, you know, see how people are going to use it. Um, at the moment, they're just using it for playing music or setting timers. Mm. But, um, you know, in the future, people will use it more. Do you think it, it really is the start of this, what I call like living in a sci-fi film, where, you know, you just sort of talk, say, oh, order some more milk, and then it just sort of orders you some milk and it arrives in the fridge kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I don't see why not. Yeah, I see what, what what's standing in the way at the moment um, for me and I think for many other people is we don't trust the voice assistant that we're talking to enough to spend the time on it to get it to do complicated jobs. Some of them, they can't do them. Sometimes you the assistant gets it wrong so many times you just can't be bothered. So you just stick with what works. Uh, and I think also they have a problem with stringing multiple connections together for context. So if you were to ask a particular question and go, oh, no, not that, Jamie. I want the other Jamie. In some cases, it can get it. In some cases, it can't. It's not consistent. And really, then to string another third context-related query on top of that, they mm. can't do it. But that is just a limitation in where they are now. There's no reason why they can't do that. And they can't give some appearance of intelligence, mm. even if they're not strictly intelligent. Um it's, and it's just confidence then, you know, it's, it's when you talk to another human being, you grow confidence in that, that other human being can do things for you, can have it, can hold a conversation with you and you like them or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but if, if, if you don't, if you aren't confident that say a new employee can do the, the task that they say they can do, you'll stop asking them or, or, or maybe they'll stop working for you. Um, and I think it's the same with assistance, albeit it's a lot easier to, to not use them. Mm. Um, so I think it is just confidence in the system and that it works as you expect and it does that consistently. You don't see that in the films, do you? You know, when they're doing it, you know, piloting a spaceship, <laughs> they sort of say, you know, um, do such and such. And then it goes, oh, self-destruct mechanism activated. Oh, no, no, back up. No, back. That's not what I said. <laughs> you, know? you know, I'm sure I have seen that in some films, some comedy films. 
And it's something you do see referenced in uh, maybe comedy series where they're talking about, they're talking to Siri or another voice assistant and it's giving back silly answers um, or at least silly in the context of what they're talking about. Mm. Um, no, you don't, you know, I mean, I, I guess the biggest... flawless, isn't it? And all just work yeah. flawlessly, which is a great, a great vision. And I was also thinking the other day, if you're a software programmer and you were asked to build in a, a self-destruct mechanism to any kind of system, surely that would alert you to... You know, this is not maybe being used for good, what I'm making. Yeah. You know? But all the best self-destruct systems, you have to go to the basement of the spaceship or, or wherever you are. <laughs> you have to have four keys in the corner of something. Um, it lifts up and then you have to push down cylinders in a certain order. <laughs> and then eventually it gives you this ridiculously short amount of time in which to escape. Yeah. And it's like, how do you... Isn't that how all self-destruct works? And how do you test a self-destruct, you know, system? Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see in the Bond films as well, they sort of have, you know, a countdown. You think, uh, has this really been tested thoroughly enough to know that it's actually going to detonate the entire building? Don't know. You, don't well, really you do know. see that actually in, in films a lot where you've got uh, maybe a computer and there's a raid from the police or the FBI on this building and then they um, are able to burn the hard drives or destroy the data in some way. Mm. Uh, and it's always this critical moment where there is a progress bar moving across the screen. And actually, if they had only invested then slightly fast computer, <laughs> then it would have just deleted or copied all of that information just a little bit more quickly. Yeah, what's it waiting for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, there was a, a good TV series I watched called Mr. Robot. I think it's on Amazon. Um, the first season very good. Second season not so good. A little bit more weird, but the first season's very good. But what he would do is he um, would put things in the microwave to fry them. So he'd sort of break them up and then put them in there, and that would fry them. Mm. Um, I think he did it with like, mobile sims or any any sort of little data cards or USB drives stuff like that. Don't try that at home. Just to give Just them. Better, you know. No, no, it probably set your house on fire. Um, anyway, we, we went on a Christmas outing to the escape rooms um, just before Christmas. So it's the whole team, Al, uh, Lou, Claire, Catherine, uh, Donal, the editor. Uh, am I missing anyone? Was there anyone else there? <laughs> no, no, that was it. <laughs> we didn't lose anyone. And we went to a place called the escape rooms in Gloucester. And basically the idea is you have an hour to escape from a scenario. Now we're in a prison break scenario. Um, but they have a few others. There is a hotel, a haunted hotel, where you've got to escape from an elevator, and another one which is um, oh, I can't remember. It's, it's um, based on a hangover, so it's like trying to work out what right. happened the night before, kind of thing. That's right, yeah. and that's one of the harder ones. We we did the easiest one, and we came out with about two minutes and something. Two minutes forty-two. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> Oh dear! Um, the, what, but that was wasn't really actually they could still be locked in then if we'd forgotten anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was really good fun, wasn't it? It was a very good, a very good. I mean, some people might go on a team building or team bonding exercise, and I guess you could kind of call oh, it that. I absolutely but, think you could call it that more than a lot of yeah. other things. I mean, you really are working as a team. I mean, we were literally handcuffed together. I mean, you don't get much more sort of team working than yeah. like, stuck in a room. I don't want to give too much yeah. too much away, but basically, yeah, you, you're in a you, you've been put in prison, and they had this lovely video which sets the scene, <laughs> which was um, very funny. Um, Unnecessary. Sets the too, scene. I felt, but there we are. Yeah. Um and then um yeah, so you're in you're in prison, you basically have to escape and you're handcuffed together and it's um it's, it's very good. Mm. Um highly recommend looking. And there's lots of different ones. We went to one in Gloucester, there's lots of different similar ideas all around the country, these escape rooms. Um really good fun, right. definitely worth the money. Very funny. I think they should sell a video to people afterwards because you kind of forget what you do. <laughs> my enjoying uh, my sort of enduring memory of it would be um, 
watching Catherine try to log into a PC from a distance with a walking stick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. Uh, that was really timeless. good. If anyone wants to see any pictures of us dressed up like convicts, um, they are on our blog actually at the moment, but I'll post them as part of the, the show notes for this, this episode. They're quite funny. Um, right. Okay. So I'm going to quickly get on a sponsor. Then we'll look at has marketing lost its personal touch. So the sponsor today is really straightforward. Last month, I wrote an article, put together a short video, giving people a few things that they can be doing this year as part of their marketing plan to really look forward and start planning ahead and a few things to look at. It's called Ducks in a Row. So if you go and search for that, you can search for Inventive Ducks in a Row and it should be the top hit that comes up. My sponsor today is just go and have a have a look at that, watch it and let me know what you think. Um, there's also a couple of offers on there if you're interested for um, subscriptions ticked off um, or a free marketing call. Um, just go and watch it. Let us know what you think. Okay, so moving on. So this next topic was... Um, inspired by or um, there's a couple of articles that came out one from Claire who is our operations and she looks after the video uh, in-house video uh, editing Um, so she wrote an article called has Martin lost its personal touch really focused on video and actually how video can benefit um, companies by allowing people to get a bit closer to the people within that company also Lou wrote an article um, about removing the BS from marketing and just telling it like it is and, and I've often thought this as well, that, that sometimes I feel companies don't get what they're meant to be doing and they, they forget that they're actually selling to people. And all their, a lot of the marketing they're putting out is really just pushing out things that might be, they might be relevant to the product, but they're not enough to really get people going and communicate on a personal level. I don't know what your thoughts are, Al, in terms of marketing. Do you feel that really companies today are losing the plot in terms in terms of that? Do you think there's so much kind of analysis and analytics of things that, that yes, you, you might be right, people are, no, business owners just see it all as numbers, do you think? There's so many, you know, dashboards and, and things. Whenever I click on anything from an email, you know, it goes through some tracking system first yeah. and I can see that and I feel a bit like, oh, okay, just on the little, you know, just did a plus one somewhere on some system. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, but that, I mean, that can be good if it's used in the right way. If they if they use that as a way to determine what's working best, I think that's fine. It's more about the message that they might be putting into that email mm-hmm. and making sure it's addressing not only the product that they're trying to sell, but more importantly, you, mm. you know, out who is reading this email, is it relevant to you? Is it talking to you as a real person? Mm-hmm. It's not just corporate BS. It's actually something that you can, um, resounds with you. Mm-hmm. I suppose I'm not the best case study because I tend to just not read emails like that. <laughs> I tend mm. to just skip over them because I'm just really well, cynical it be, about it. And- it can be emails, banner ads, um, social media, video, uh, pre-roll ads, you know, an- anything really where they're, where you are trying to engage people um, and by engage, you want them just to do something. Um, I think you really need to speak to that person. And even if it's a broader range of um, people, you need to try and understand who that audience is and what they are like and what they're interested in and really talk to them rather than just saying, oh, let's just run another advert for uh, product X and, and put it here. Because that that just doesn't really work. Sometimes it can. If you can bang it out to enough places, you will eventually hit some people that want to buy it at that time. Well, that's what spam but, is. Um, spam is just yeah. a numbers game. The more people you yeah. hit, the more results you'll get. 
in a, t- a very, very small percentage. But if you're banging out, as you say, enough emails, which are not in any way personalized, um, you will, and that's the opposite, I suppose, uh, of personalization. You will still mm. get, you will still get business, but you have to send it to everyone. But it's, it's a bit more uh, unintelligent, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. And it, actually, it's a good point. Um, recently, I got um, a load of emails before Christmas from a service called Bark. Um, and actually, on the face of it, the service seems quite interesting. The problem I had with it is a lot of these emails started coming over Christmas. And as we'd wound down, I really was every now and then. So what happened is they uh, picked up our email um, from the web. And I know this because they used hello at ratherinventive.com. We don't use that anywhere else apart from on the web as a generic email for people to get in contact with us. So that's instantly I know where they've picked it up from. Um, But the problem was what they did is enrolled us into the system. um, And I got a sequence of emails every time people registered that they needed some work doing. And the the principle of Bark, although they've frankly pissed me off so much I didn't look into it, is that people would register that they need jobs, web development, graphic design, whatever it might be on there and then that gets pushed instantly out to the people who uh who might be interested in that they've identified that we're interested in web design work and so therefore they're pushing leads our way great idea really like the idea the problem is i didn't sign up to this service and i'm now getting a lot of email from them um i'm, I'm guessing maybe five to six emails a day could be more than that it felt like quite a lot uh, many more than uh, than i do get but the service was interesting so i did leave them and let them go and sort of wanted to check the system out but they kept coming and kept coming. Um, and it just seemed that almost their marketing automation system or whatever system they've got in place is just going a bit over the top mm. in terms of trying to get hold of me. And in principle, the service seems really good, but because they bombarded me so much, sorry guys, if the service is really good, I haven't, I haven't fully checked it out, but you have pissed me off. So I'm not, I'm not likely to just at the moment, um, but feel free for anyone else to check out the service. And so however well designed the emails were, however personal they came across, like it really felt like it was someone sending me this email, um, it was automated and it was just coming from a system and it wasn't even batching the emails together. So it just, it felt like it was over the top. A bit fake. Yeah. But it only starts to feel fake after a while. Mm. And it's the same when you have uh, marketing automation. Maybe you've uh, gone to a website, you've already filled out a form for something, subscribed to something or downloaded a product where they required your email. Um, The problem comes to me when you visit that website again and then maybe five, ten minutes later you get an email which might be relevant to that product. And I know what's happening there. I know that their marketing automation system has... uh, triggered that, put me into a list. They've added a delay and the email sent out. No problem with trying to uh, hone down and direct market to people who are interested in products, but there are different ways of doing it. And maybe you don't want to do it straight away um, because it feels too contrived. And especially when you add this sort of fake personal message to it, because it's not actually coming from a person, it's coming from uh, an automated system. It doesn't always work. I'm not saying anything that the way we word things doesn't come across like that, but it's it's often quite easy to pick up on. And it's something that, I don't know. I think with all of this automation, we are somehow losing this personal touch and actually people talking to people and working with people to sell products. So there's another thing, and I think we've mentioned it before on, on a previous podcast about remarketing um, advertising, targeting products you've already bought. Oh yeah, that's really and annoying. It, there's there's no point i mean it's a bit of a waste and it's just really irritating and it's more irritating than the fact that it uses up all the ad slots on an available website 
So it's going to take the skyscraper one, the banner across the top, and maybe even a pop-up one that come, you know, pops over the content. Mm. And it's like, I've already looked at this product and you know what? I've bought it. You need to put me in the list and remove yeah. me from this. You don't know. You don't know me. You don't care about me as a customer. That makes me feel worse. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't know that I even put an order in. Mm. You know, they're trying yeah. to get me to sign up. I did sign up. <laughs> yeah, I've done exactly what you wanted. Yeah, please, now you're, yeah. you're battering me to do yeah, more. Leave me alone. <laughs> and it, it's, it's somehow... Um, while I love automation, I, I truly do. I mean, I, 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 I'm come as much from as you out come from a more technical background. I'm really interested in, 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 in systems, particularly solving problems and automating things. But sometimes I think you can over automate mm. and the machine are just like, we're talking about the Google home mini it's good, but it's not that good enough to trick you to actually be real intelligence where it's actually having a conversation with you. Mm. And so therefore it's actually something you don't, you tend to mistrust a bit more. Um, so I think this this year for us, I really want to try and get more, I was going to say get more personal with everyone, but maybe we don't want That's to reveal too many things. <laughs> but just try and be more me in, in the marketing. So rather inventive, while it's a company, it's about you, Al, and it's about how your behave, it's about your personality. It's about me and my personality, Claire, Louise, whoever's working with us, whether they're employee, contractor, it's about us working together and working with our customers. And I think I just want to make sure that that shines through because that's ultimately what people get when we go and have meetings with them or we talk to them over Skype. They get us. And so I want, I want them to know that. <laughs> anyway, that's my rant on automation and uh, a, a sort of over-marketing, really. Um, so there's a couple of good articles I, I, I want people to read. So there's Claire's article, which I'll link in the show notes. Again, go to our website and look for Has Marketing Lost Its Personal Touch? Lou's article, which is called Keep Your Word. Um, and something related to that, actually, is um, a book called Rework. And there is one of the sections in there split up into lots of little digestible articles. Uh, one of them in there is talking about basically your mission statement and, and, and not having a mission statement that doesn't mean anything, that just has these platitudes and isn't really accessible by anyone. It's just saying the same as every other company mission statement. It's just looking at that and saying who you are as a company and what you will do for the people you work with. So that's a, a good book. I'll put some links for that. And I'll also link to Bark so you can have a look and maybe it's useful to you. Um, anyway, moving on. So we've got a podvert. Now, apologies on this podvert. I meant to read it out in our last podcast. So I'm sorry, Jonathan. Apologies. What you were advertising at the time was out of date by the time the podcast came around. So I'll, I'll tell people about the new date in this one. So this podvert is from at Internet Future on Twitter. That's Jonathan Pollinger. And he says, learn about LinkedIn at my workshop with at Louise Jenner one on 21st of November in Gloucester. But their next workshop is on the 30th of Jan. So you've still got time to book onto that. And if you visit internetfuture.com slash social hyphen media hyphen training, search for something like that you'll come across the website so sorry about that jonathan but hopefully we'll get a few people along to your workshop um on the 30th so that actually gave me um so that got me thinking about linkedin and uh, lou and i were actually talking about her linkedin profile for word birdie the copywriting side of, of what we're doing and how we can just develop and improve that um, so all of these things together, I actually came across a, an article called The Best LinkedIn Profiles and Company Pages in 2017. Now, 
it's quite funny because at the top it says it's a seven minute read and it was not a seven minute read. So I don't know how they worked that out. I think there were a lot of images that needed digesting and they just maybe calculated it on the copy, but um, it didn't, it, it certainly wasn't seven minutes for me. I don't know about you out, but I've had quite a positive experience with LinkedIn recently. I've had some good conversations with people. Um, anything we've been posting on LinkedIn from our blog, people have been um, liking, sharing with a few other people, maybe putting some comments in there. Um, I know you might see it from a different point of view, but how, what's your feelings on LinkedIn? I really don't use it very much, <laughs> but um, I really just use it to um, maintain connections with people I've worked with, I guess. Mm. I, I occasionally will read an article on there, um, but more, more often than not, I just get notifications about people celebrating two years of something okay yeah great say congratulations and then you have to press the button that says congratulations yes like congratulations because that's a really rubbish place that you work and you've done amazing to be there for two years it was actually <laughs> weird to say congratulations um so no i don't know uh i don't really use it probably as much as you do really for networking or, or anything like that um yeah no, it's, it's funny you say about those messages that are telling you about people's birthdays or work anniversaries, because as much as you can just click a button to say, well done or congratulations, and, and you know, you've, you've done your bit, I actually think it can be a good opportunity to get talking to someone because it's a reason to talk to them. You're not having an opportunity to sell and talk about your product, but you can go in there and say, oh, that's really cool. Uh, have you been up to any interesting projects recently? And you can use that as an opportunity to dive into a bit of real conversation. We're talking about getting personal. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, you actually want to talk to them as a human being. Uh, it's not just a, a quick like on there. Um, and so I think that's been working quite well and actually, actually having a conversation with people. Something that goes along with that is I found a lot of people have been connecting with me. And I used to be of the opinion that I had to know you or have worked with you to connect. Now I'm much more open about that. And I'll just, if people want to connect with me, that's absolutely fine. But what I'll do instead of saying, oh, thanks, thanks for connecting. Is there anything I can help you with? Can, you know, do you need a new website or do you need this, that, and the other? Is I will try and um, ask them about what they've been up to. Have they done anything interesting this week? Have they got any, um, any cool plans coming up in their business? Or just some way of opening up that conversation. Because I, I am genuinely interested in what people are doing in their business. Even if I don't really know them, I find it fascinating to find out um, how different people approach business. So it is genuine for me, but also it opens the conversation up because they're not waiting for me to sell something. They, you know, it's very easy for them to answer because it's all about them. And that's been working quite, quite well as well. Um, getting some good conversations actually. But, um, just to finish off before we go to Al's web trends or web design trends, I'm just going to read out a couple of, um, key points that they've covered in this article, um, which are, I think, very relevant. So the first one is to include a professional headshot and cover photo. Um, I would definitely say getting a good image of yourself on LinkedIn is critical. Don't use the one where you've got um, a martini in your hand and you're looking a little bit tired and drunk. So you have Luke uh, when you're on LinkedIn, LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> you look good, by the way, Alan. You look good. Uh, nicely tanned. Um, and a lot of people do. It's so funny. A lot of people do that because that's that's what they think. That's where they remember feeling good, maybe. And so they that they perceive that as a good picture. I don't know if that comes across to other people. Um I still think you want a photo that looks genuine. You're smiling. You look relaxed. 
you're not overly posed. So it is difficult to get that. But I think it's worth every time you have the opportunity trying to take some photo. And you, you don't need to get a professional to do it. You can use a selfie or get someone else to take it on an iPhone or Android if you must. But focusing on trying to get a good image is worthwhile. Um, they mentioned a cover photo as well. I don't know if you need that or not. And I think you have to be a bit, um, you know, if you want to put something more interesting relating to business, I think that's possibly where you can uh, focus on some of your products or staff or whatever you want to in there. But the professional headshot is important. Um, and then the next thing, and I think these are the two most important, is to write a headline that captures the attention of people because it's what they will see. This headline is so important. They'll see your photo, your name, and then a short headline about you. So it's got to be something that people will find interesting and they'll understand what it is. So it's really worth fo focusing on that. They also mentioned about reviewing your summary, make it easy to read. Again, try and address it back to um, how you work with your customers, how you help them, how you deliver uh, what you do. I'd also recommend getting recommendations and endorsements because this can give social proof that you've worked with a lot of other people and that a lot of other people would take the time to actually get um, to give you um, endorsements. Recommendations are also interesting as well because they're real text from people, they're testimonials. So I think the best way of getting recommendations is to either ask people you've worked with to give you a recommendation or if you've worked with clients or um, uh, other contractors in the past, is to give them a recommendation and that could be a prompt that they might give you a recommendation back. A um, couple of more things. If you write a blog, and I think you should, then definitely post the links for each blog article onto LinkedIn uh, as an update because I that can, I've seen that that can build up a lot of uh, conversation within people that you know and that you're connected with. And it gives you more opportunity for what you're doing um, whatever it's trying to do, whether it's innovating in your field or you're just really helpful, but it makes sure you get in front of a lot of people and it gives you more opportunity. And if it's done right, those updates may appear in people's LinkedIn emails. Um, I would definitely recommend Buffer for posting those blog posts out to multiple social accounts. Um, and that's it. There's, there's lots of other information in there, so definitely go and look for it. Um, it is on a site called sendable.com best LinkedIn profiles and company pages. So go and have a look at that. If you want more LinkedIn information, we actually have a book which has a lot of social tips in there, uh, a lot of LinkedIn stuff as well. You should definitely get that too. And I've mentioned it before. You just go to our website, scroll down the bottom, fill out our newsletter or subscribe to our newsletter and you'll get that book for free. So that's go to ratherinventive.com, scroll down to the bottom and um, Add in your email, subscribe to our newsletter, and you get the book for free. If you're not interested in getting the newsletter, just unsubscribe straight away. So um, over to you, Al, to talk about web design trends. And I'm interested in this one because um, I'm seeing some trends sort of return back to styles that I remember back in the year 2000, 2001. I think I posted something on our internal chat which reminded me of that. Mm. Uh, but I'm interested in your take on it. Oh, so okay. over to you. Okay, so I've just been looking at a couple of articles um, online and also just looking at websites as well and just seeing some of the trends, or I guess some of the common themes running through, kind of, I guess you could call it an in-fashion kind of web design at the moment mm. or a website. Um, certainly, I, I think um, that there's a lot of sites with very bright colours and I think that's gonna, people are saying that's going to continue. And I agree, I see a lot of new sites coming out 
with really like bright, almost neon colors, mm. often in a gradient as well. Yeah. And not always a gradient of that color, but like a different color. And um, there's many sites which have that as a background, maybe at the top, which I think, I think really nice and they look really fresh. But I think, I don't think it's going anywhere soon, but I think eventually people might get a bit um, fed up with it. I don't know where we mm. go from there. We don't want to just be going back to greys <laughs> and black, but you never know. It was that for a time, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, you never know. It might do. It's really interesting. Um, I did have an idea ages ago for um, like uh, a style of web design called like one color web design. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you could design a site that's just one color and only like tints of that one color. Right. Okay. Idea. Yeah, that could be interesting. People don't tend to do that because you don't. You've got every color you like for free. But when you're doing print stuff, often you've got like one or two color print jobs. Yeah. You used to. Um, do you think that restriction can help with design? Maybe. If you are restricted to a few colors, yeah, I don't know. I would look. I don't know what a website would look like if it was just all you know variation of a of green. Um, I assume you can have a background color like white or black. I think you get white. I assume it's not. You're not having to have green on green. I think you, you get white for free, but I don't know about okay. black. That's potentially a different color. Don't know. Yeah, it's another color. I, I don't know. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not a necessarily a trend that I would do. But it's just an interesting idea. Um, I but, can see a tumbler. Yeah. Uh, Forming. <laughs> so it's um, yeah, bright colors, uh, vivid, um, and so forth. Um, I think more video as well. You see that more and more now. Maybe in the header element of a page. Um, mm. playing video as a background element or just as the main message. Um, I think that's really good. I find video, I think video is brilliant. Um, oh, did I share you an article on how um, it was a, uh, a recommendation for browsers to implement video in the image tag? Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah, it actually, I think it works in the Safari, Safari, no, yeah, Safari developer preview at the moment, or maybe even Safari, oh. but it allows you to put an MP4 video in yeah. as a source for an image. Mm. And the rationale behind this is um, GIFs are crap uh, because they are big. I mean, a lot of people use GIFs because they work in an, uh, in an image tag, which can, which can work in um, email. Okay, it's loaded um, it's loaded straight away. You don't have to wait for it to load. Like video has to wait until everything else is loaded and lots of other reasons, but it's really big. It's limited on its color palette and that sort of thing. So there, there is a proposal that you can have short videos or like cinemagraphs, which I know you like, um, mm. short videos that actually are treated as images and loaded like images. What's wrong with the video tag in that respect? Um, well, because the video tag has many other overheads to it. And the way it's loaded is different. So it, it, the video tag is always loaded at the end, I believe. Hmm. So it's, it's basically a way of replacing GIFs with actual video that are smaller than the GIF, but are treated like an image. Hmm. Not sure how hmm. I feel about that. No, I know. It's, it's kind of hacking HTML. Feels, I, I know that people with people who be like, well, it's, it's an image tag. So it's for an image. Uh, is a video mm. an image? And then people, you might want to put attributes against it, like to say whether there's a control bar or not, or volume or play or autoplay. And then you're really back to what the video uh, tag Yeah, you. You, don't, you don't get that. It's silent. Um, it, it, just, it, you know, um, it basically treats it exactly like an image. So you can have a background video natively. So you just have a background image, but it's video, something mm. like that. Yeah, interesting. I know I, it, it's it's an interesting concept, but I I totally agree. I think video is is getting more and more important, um, or just moving images. So yes, uh, absolutely. Video um, 
either you know publicizing yourself or your service or a product or just you know something aspirational i think um that's great um and just the uh, like you say on facebook a lot of videos you know get on your feed and they're all subtitled which i think is brilliant um yeah. as well so um yeah that's that's really good I've, I, I watch a lot of videos just reading the subtitles because it's just less noisy you know and mm. i like it another uh trend we might see is more hand-drawn elements as well mixing in with this um, and also more sort of fluid, ge- not geometric, but more fluid shapes. Do you see? Mm-hmm. There's certainly some sites with geometric shapes. Do you have any examples that we could? Um, um, I can, to? I can find some for you. Definitely, I haven't got any off the top of my head right now, but I can uh, dig some out for you. Uh, with just more, fl- yeah, more fluid shapes in the background. Um, I think that that's quite nice, but more organic. We're moving away from harder edges. Hmm. The internet has got quite blocky in, mm. in areas. I mean, you can always put a background image of something, you know, curvy, uh, like circles or something like this. Um, but I think the trend lately has just been for blocks and things like bootstrap and so forth kind of promote a sort of blocky approach to things, which is fine. Yeah. And it's easy for people to um, understand and see and delineate content and also then to stack on a mobile phone. Makes a lot of sense. But there's still some some things you can do to sort of break out of that a little bit, I think. And uh, flat design is, a, I guess, that's been around for a little while now. Again, sort of blocky approach, but just simple and not not cluttered and an uncluttered look. That I think people I've been reading um, that that's obviously going to continue, but um, it's starting to give more depth to this sort of flat design. So mm-hmm. drop shadows or movement, but micro movements and little movements, um, just to make it feel a bit more real. Uh, and sort of 3D like, but not over the top, not like yes. really big like. Uh, yeah, because I don't. What I don't like is those shadows, which was around ages ago. We'd have like an image or a product, and then you'd have a drop shadow, a massive one. Um, I think Apple use it a lot, actually, don't they? Um, is that the reflection? Kind of, yeah, like a reflection type. Um, yeah, and then everyone used it. Yeah, I don't really like that. But I think we talk about tiny little subtle things just to sort of bring things out. Um, uh, and I think uh, Google are working on some, like material, um, material system like for icons mm-hmm. and a sort of e- almost like an ecosystem of, of like, like a place, uh, and that's sort of th- it's flat design, but it's sort of three D and things exist within this three D space. So yeah, that, yeah, that's right because their material um, designs um, uh, not system. It's it's like a methodology. Uh, cons- uh, yeah, yeah, methodology. Let's put a okay. word to it. I don't even think that's the right word. It's, yeah. Because it spans different things. They started the idea for it um, for Android, but it, you can use it on the web. I think they have web components where you can use their style and JavaScript, I assume, to have. And it's all about layers, isn't it, in material? So you can have you have multiple layers overlaying each other mm. um, to present information with context of what the previous page or bit of information was. Quite interesting. Mm. So again, it's just making it kind of like a real space a little bit more. Mm. And another trend that might emerge is um, kind of unsymmetrical layouts. So I guess visually people do like things to be kind of balanced and might want to put things in the middle of a panel, have things um, symmetrical like that. But there might be a a move towards sort of unsymmetrical. So a little bit more um, whimsical, maybe. Uh, uh, Is that the right word? Maybe, yeah. bit different and unusual and font and typefaces being a little bit more quirky as well. Mm. Um, so it might, you might go to a site and be a little bit like, Oh, what's, 
there's a big space there that doesn't look right, you know, but that's as it should be. I know with fonts, I struggle with fonts because I know when I see a nice font, I appreciate that. But I struggle to find nice fonts when I'm looking through because I'm, I'm not really a designer. I know how to do it, but I wouldn't call myself a designer. Um, I've got all the tools, so to speak, but um, uh, I just don't do it enough, really, and experiment enough to, to really be a true designer. So I find it one of the things I find most difficult are fonts and choosing the right font because I don't just want to stick with standard fonts all the time or use the same font, which is too easy to do when you want to differentiate something. And fonts can make a huge difference, especially if, they, if they're used on big bits of text or if you want to get across a more friendliness or you want it to be bolder or clarity. And I'm just not... I find that really tough, actually, working with fonts. It can be really hard. You do have a, mm. something in your head. You think, I need something that's just sort of like official, but uh, friendly, uh, authoritative, mm. but not dictatorial. So you're kind of thinking, how, how does a font like that look? So, yeah, you can spend hours trawling through. I, I use, like, Google Fonts would be uh, my first go-to one, uh, or Font Squirrel for, like, if you were to download and then install the font. Um mm actual font files on your system um a nice thing with font squirrel is they've got a library of free fonts um and also you can upload other fonts and have them converted to like a web font um some fonts you can't they have uh, restrictions on them which means you can't you know copy them you need to pay for them and we, we have several like that gotham is a good example where you have mm -hmm. to pay um per month to use it which you think that's through uh, subs a web subscription what are they called typography.com that one I right, believe. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, the, the process of getting it all on there is quite, quite onerous and you've got to mm. uh, add all your domain in and then you've got to put something on your uh, uploader thing to your site and then confirm it all. Uh, just to use this font, you know, and I think, wow, there must be a quick alternative. And sometimes there are free, very similar looking alternatives on, on Google Fonts, for example. But you can, uh, there's not that many on Google Fonts where you couldn't sort of review and enough of them to get a good a good idea yeah but, um often on fonts uh it'll be great and then the like something like the pound sign will just be terrible and that's such and you i only like you'd get really deflated like oh because <laughs> that's like i really needed it to be good um so i mean you can always use a, a different font for a pound sign if you had to by using like a span tag and applying a class to that with a different font um it's yeah really exactly but it's it's a bit more of a pain i remember for a project uh, and this was actually in um flash we were doing it and when we handed over the project because it came from another agency and then we were continuing it many years ago um they were using two fonts they were using one font for all text and then another font or a variation of that font for the numbers mm. Mm. Oh, so frustrating because anytime there was a number, you had to go over and drag over and select a different font for it. It's so frustrating. I asked um, one of my friends, John Hurley, great graphic designer, because um, I knew he was very much into fonts and he designed his own fonts, that he would be able to take these two fonts and merge them as needed. Um, and even making sure they had, I think we had to put um, TM and register trademark in subscript, which he didn't have. So he had to do, again, do that for each one. So he was able to create the font that we needed for that client. So they didn't have to, we didn't have to redo that every time. We could actually just um, put one font over the text and it would act as we wanted it to. And that was it's huge, such a huge benefit. But it, you know, it makes such a difference when, when the person who was choosing that, they probably designed it for posters or non-dynamic content. But as we started to do more dynamic content, that's just not possible. We had to have a font that would render it 
um, all in one font. So it's uh, interesting how these, these font design choices, the design choices for the fonts really would impact everything down the line. And it became a bit of a problem. I think more people are aware of that now, but at the time they weren't. Mm. Yeah, fonts um, is, a, is a great time waster. <laughs> you can oh, yeah. Sometimes you'll just find the font really fast and other times you can be hours trawling through and you get like font blindness, at which point you just have to go away and come back another time and keep looking. Um, yeah, like looking for a needle in a haystack sometimes. And um, you, you know, yeah. um, something I used to love in the early days of desktop publishing and when it was called that, um, and I particularly love this for the Mac, is that when you were browsing fonts, it showed you what the fonts looked like. Whereas on Windows, it just showed you the names. And so you had to literally go through them one by one to find out. Um, and on the Mac, it just made so much so much easier. You could see a rough out, rough um, example of what the font was, so you could quickly skip through them. Yeah, that's a nice thing. Yeah, that's a nice thing on Google Fonts actually. Yeah, so when you look at Google Fonts and it's got like they put some sort of dummy content in, you can just type over that content with your yeah. with maybe a title from your own site, and I would encourage you to do that. Um, that uses as many letters as possible as well, and so you can find out if one of the letters just look doesn't look right, um, and then you can set the size and like the, the boldness and stuff. Um, and then there's a little button to say, apply to all fonts. And if you press mm. that, every one of the font examples will change to that text. So oh, right. I didn't know that. That's useful. Yeah, it's really useful. So you can very quickly just see it for the exact title that you have for your site, which does make a difference, I think. Mm. It um, does. Yeah, because yeah. you need to see it in there. I, mm. I, yeah, I like that system because you can search for fonts and just look for serif fonts or non-serif fonts, mm. sans-serif fonts. Um, and really filter it down by by what's what are, what you're looking for initially, and then it's easier just to scroll through and look to find something appropriate. Yeah, um, it's always good to look for one with a couple of different styles. So you've mm. got uh, like a, a light or a, or a heavy um, style as well. That's quite unless you just want to use that one. Sometimes can be useful to just to have that. So that's another thing that you can use to kind of discount fonts. If there's only one style and you need going to need it bolded or a light version, then. You can discard it and look for another one. <laughs> yeah, you need to make sure you've got those because that mm. is useful. Um, certainly in web where you want to just highlight things. Um, just going back to the illustration that you mentioned, is there any particular style of illustration that would be coming forward? Um, you mentioned sort of non-regular um, non shapes, but mm. um, is there any other styles that have been pro that coming out? I'm not sure, really. I think just hand-drawn elements, mm. so more sketchy. Um, like car not car well cartoony, I, I suppose, or just little elements or you know, like header areas that are that are an image. Um, mm. I see more of that. Yeah. So like our little robots, like that. Sort yeah. Of style. Yeah, yeah. I think so. We're ahead um, of the game. And there's that um, great uh, site I really like. Oh, what's it called? Food. It's to do with local food markets. Oh, I can't remember. oh, is that the one where you you can buy from the the supplier and then go they'll bag it all up and you pick it up in one location? Yes. Is that the one? Yes, that's is right. Food Nation? Uh, no, it's not that. It's like food. <gasps> Foodie something. Oh, oh uh, I know the one. <laughs> uh, it's really nice. And the site's really nice. Um, and it's quite flat colours, but they do have uh, – it's illustrated, so the, the, they don't mm -hmm. really have many photos. It's just sort of drawings – colored which just yeah, worked really ni nicely it's just got that a is a lovely feel. site actually it, it it does feel very nice everything fits really well um oh if only we could remember the link we'll put it into the show notes there's a little treat for people they can go and have a look um yeah that's really nice and, and actually the service looks really nice it's worth looking into um i don't know if they had anything in our area but the concept 
Um, the concept is that you can buy from a variety of different local producers in your area, your sort of your local club, I guess. Um, and then those producers will send it to one location in one box or one area for you to pick it up. And then you pay once rather than paying lots of different people and picking up from lots of different places. Um, so it gives you the, the convenience that a supermarket would give you. I like that. I really like that. And actually, I, I, mm. I, I forgot about it. And thank you for reminding me because I want to test it out. I'm sure there'll yeah, be some. I mean, Stroud's got some great, certainly great Stroud. markets. Oh, definitely Stroud. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Thanks, Al. If you can put together some of the links that you've seen that inspired you for, for that, that would be good to have a look um, at those. But I think we are running out of time. So I'm going to finish off. Um, so if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go to our website, ratherinventive.com forward slash podcast. And this is episode number 21. You can get in touch with Al or I on Twitter and please do. We'd like to hear from you, find out what you think of the show. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Ben Kinnaird, K-I-N-N-A-I-R-D or at Inventive Al. The sponsor was our blog post. If you just search for Inventive Ducks in a Row, that will come up. Just read it. Let me know. I would like to know your comments. I'd like to know what you're doing, what your plans are for 2018. If you want to be part of the show, send in your business, marketing, or creativity questions for the next episode as a tweet. And you can send that to at Rather Inventive or our general email, hello at ratherinventive.com. If, like Jonathan, you wanted to get a podvert on, you can send a tweet of your service or product you'd like to promote, mentioning at Rather Inventive and the hashtag podvert, and we'll read it out on the coming episode. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye, Al. Bye bye. Until next time.